Welcome to the Mount Olive Baptist Church podcast. I'm Pastor Carl Stokes. We appreciate you being here today with us. Our desire is to preach the Word of God effectively and clearly so that you can understand God's desire for you in your life. This morning, I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you will, to 1 Samuel, the book of 1 Samuel. That's in the Old Testament, right after the book of Judges and Ruth. You'll come to 1 Samuel, and, and actually Samuel uh, is a, the last of the, the judges for Israel. This is a time in which a lot of uh, the Israelites are doing basically whatever they feel like is uh, good for them to do. They, uh, if you ever want to find out the temperament or the, the uh, way in which the Israelites uh, were acting at that particular time, just read through the book of Judges and you'll see uh, in a very clear manner uh, basically what type of people they were at this time. They were... They were. Uh, they had come from Egypt, and they had followed after God, and they had uh, uh, listened to God and listened to His instruction as they went through the wilderness and as they were conquering the land. They were God's people because God was driving out their adversaries in front of them. But once they got into the promised land, once they got into the land that God had given them, they lost their way and and. Uh, uh, if you ever read through that particular section of Scripture, you wonder why it is that they uh, uh, that God allowed all these uh, foreigners that were in the land that uh, He said that He wanted the Israelites to drive out, why He didn't help them to, to eliminate all the foreigners in that area, the Amorites, the uh, Philistines, the Amalekites, all these people that uh, were living in that area, they kind of drove them out of a large portion of the promised land so that they had land for their uh, people, but God allowed some of them to stay behind. And, and it's noted in that particular section of Scripture that God left them behind to prove uh, what kind of people they were. And boy, the, uh, during the book of Judges, you could clearly see that the Israelites were not living up to what God had desired for them to. They were allowing themselves to intermarry with uh, foreigners. They were allowing them, which was to us is not a big deal. Uh, but to the Israelites, it was a very big deal. Uh, they were to remain uh, separate from everyone else and to stay away from everyone, uh, other foreign nationals because uh, God knew that if they began to intermarry that they would begin to worship the other gods. And that's exactly what they did. They began to worship the foreign gods and they began to worship uh, gods that uh, were other than the one true God. And as a result of that, God's judgment came upon them. God uh, drove them uh, into the hands of, of so many of their enemies around them. They were taken into exile. They were, uh, went through a very difficult time. And that's why they needed the judges to begin with, so that they could have peace and so that someone could come and restore uh, the right way of living, of worshiping God, of getting rid of the, uh, the influence of all these other people around them. In this particular time of Samuel, we see that the Philistines have 
have risen to dominance. And uh, the Philistines were people that lived in that area because the Israelites had uh, come in, taken their territory, and uh, they had been pushed to uh, an extreme uh, borderland of their property and they were there wanting to come back into their own property so they had come in and tried to take over the Israelites and in the midst of all of that in the midst of all of those difficulties we find a uh, young man uh, in First Samuel chapter 1 he says there was a certain man uh, that his name was, uh, was he was of uh, Ephraim uh, and uh, his name was Elkanah he was the son of Jehoram and he was the son of Elihu and he was the son of Tohu and he was the son of Zuf and uh, he was an Ephraimite and he had two wives and the names of one of those wives was Hannah the name of the other was Peniah. And Peniah had children, but Hannah had no children. And so what we want to look at today is uh, the role of wo- uh, women in uh, Scripture and the, the role of motherhood. And uh, we want to look at this example of Hannah as an example of how to be a godly mother. How, to be, how, to, how does a woman who is in a situation where she shares her husband with another woman, be a godly woman in this situation. You might say, well, how in the world is it that uh, we have a woman that is in a uh, polygamous uh, relationship really demonstrate a godly lifestyle and a godly uh, motherhood if she's in that relationship? If you look into that situation a little bit, you'll find out that Paniah has children, but uh, Hannah doesn't have children. Hannah is uh, without children. She's barren. And what most likely happened is not uh, specifically stated, uh, but it is in a roundabout way, uh, uh, that Hannah is the first wife. And uh, she is the, the first wife of Elkanah, and she has no children, and she is barren, and she's without child. And today it would be seen as an extreme situation of polygamy, uh, something that was against the law, but in that time and that culture, uh, it was allowed that if you, uh, and the importance of having children was so great that uh, it was allowed in that culture at that time to take a second wife, if your wife, first wife didn't have children, she would take a second wife, and that is who Paniah is. She's the second wife, and she has children. She has plenty of children, and she is very blessed. But Hannah is without ch- uh, children herself, and this is uh, what is causing her great uh, 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 consternation. She's very troubled by this. In the midst of this, we see how she is a very godly woman in that circumstance. Now, uh, to be very honest with you, you say, well, how is polygamy uh, okay? How is it uh, allowed? Well, polygamy is not allowed in the eyes of God. 
God didn't like uh, for there to be uh, men who had more than one wife. He expected men to only have one wife, but the culture allowed for it, and the culture and society, uh, the orient, uh, oriental society of, of where uh, this all takes place allowed for multiple wives, allowed for uh, very wealthy men to have many wives, not just two, but uh, many, many wives. And so uh, that's where we find Hannah uh, uh, there. She is without a child and she is uh, uh, overwhelmed by that. Uh, motherhood is an important aspect of life. and Motherhood is very essential. It is uh, uh, the factor in, in a life that makes a tremendous difference. In fact, a noted psychiatrist uh, said uh, one time that he said that um, a child will never come to a full psychological development and uh, maturation into an adulthood unless that child has a mother in a home. And studies have proven that, uh, that that is very rare in today's society in which uh, in fact, uh, a survey was done some years ago that only 7% of American homes has a traditional home in which uh, they has a father that is the breadwinner and a mother that stays home and takes care of the children. And her responsibility is not to go out and earn money and, and support the family in that way, but to support the family with a very uh, difficult task of being a mother and to work within the home. And for many uh, in today's society, that is looked down upon. For a woman to stay home and to take care of the children, for the woman to, uh, to see as her uh, number one priority to take care of the children that God has blessed her with. And unfortunately, we have a society that's so fixated on things and fixated on money and fixated on possessions that, uh, that we see homes that are, are disrupted because uh, both parents go out and work and, and both parents go out and try and make a living. Uh, it's not... Uh, this is something that used to be very uh, much the norm back in the 40s and the, and the 30s and the 50s, uh, where uh, the husband stayed at home. Uh, stay, uh, the husband went out and worked and earned a living, and the family uh, made a, a livelihood off of what the the husband made, and the and the wife stayed at home. The mother stayed at home and cared for the children. If you look at old TV shows and things like that, like uh, Father Knows Best and uh, Leave It to Beaver and all those things, uh, all those old, old shows, you see uh, that kind of lifestyle in which the mother stays at home, uh, takes care of the children, ensures the children are raised in the proper manner, and works very hard in the home. And the husband's the one that goes out and earns a livelihood for the family. But nowadays that's seen as, as old-fashioned. That's seen as, as uh, not uh, promoting women's liberation. It's seen as not uh, being enlightened. And so therefore we have homes in which uh, children are left to themselves to raise themselves uh, after uh, school is over and after they come home. Uh, many children are, are uh, staying at home. In fact, many young people are no longer willing to uh, commit to a, a life of when they get married, 
of saying that it's forever. In fact, there's uh, a lot of marriages, uh, there's uh, a, a trend in which in the wedding vows where it says, till death do us part, you know, that's the traditional uh, marriage vow of that you'll love each other to, and stay married till death do us part. And nowadays, uh, young young couples are, are just living together without getting married. And a lot of uh, young couples that are getting married, they uh, change that to say... Uh, Till uh, uh, instead of till death do us part, they say until they no longer in love. For as long as they shall love each other, rather than instead of for as long as they shall live. Young couples are getting to the point where they just simply uh, don't make the kind of commitment that's necessary to have a, a godly home, necessary to have a mother and a father in the home to help raise young people, raise children. Uh, in fact, parents have uh, shirked the responsibility of, of being parents in the home. They would much rather go out and have fun and spend all their time uh, instead of being a father, instead of being a mother, playing video games or doing the other stuff, going out and partying. In fact, in the, in the news you hear from time to time about a mother that leaves her children. And just recently there was a, a, a news article on the, uh, in the news about a, a, a woman who uh, out west that uh, went in and, and uh, partied all night long with her friends and left her child in the car and the child died of uh, heat exhaustion because it's too hot in the car. Uh, last year, a woman left her child in the car while she went into a casino and, and gambled all night long and the child died in the car. Uh, there's uh, several examples every year of women and men who could care less about their children and... and uh, I think not too long ago there was a, a, a article in the news about children that were found in an apartment complex uh, where uh, they had been alone for months. And one of the children had even died, and they uh, the child was had mummified in the apartment when the authorities found them, and the mother was just out having a good old time, just doing her own little thing and, and could care less about the children. We need to have homes where uh, the parents care for their children, uh, where children are cared for. Where And, you know, you have nowadays where some parents will send their children to school whether they're sick or not because they see it as their time to be alone and have a good time sitting around the house being lazy and they can't uh, uh, fathom the thought of keeping a child home when they're sick because that's their time. And so many schools have children that come to school with, uh, they're just with fevers and with runny noses and everything. And here they are, they're trying to keep uh, sickness from passing from child to child in the school. And you have parents that won't keep the children at home because they're too selfish of that time because they see the school system as a free babysitting service rather than an educational opportunity for the children. So what we need are parents that care about their children. We need parents that are, uh, are concerned about their children. We need godly mothers and fathers 
Today we're focused on mothers, and so uh, we'll think about that. But think about this. One out of 12 children in American society is abused. One out of 12 children. Many of those uh, broken homes and and families that are mixed and blend are the source of of, uh, sexual abuse for many uh, young girls and even young boys. And so we are living in a society and a world that needs a biblical example of motherhood, a godly example. And we have several examples in Scripture. We have uh, Sarah, uh, who was Abram's wife, Abraham's wife, and Rachel, Jacobed, and Deborah, uh, who was one of the judges, and Ruth. And Mary, but today we're going to talk about uh, Hannah. We now uh, some of you that keep track of things, you uh, probably note that we talked about Hannah last year at Mother's Day, and I understand that you can put your little uh, uh, date down on this scripture that we're talking about Hannah uh, uh, again this year. But uh, we're going to look at Hannah from a very different perspective. Hannah was a specifically uh, important. Woman, she, uh, God needed a godly man to be risen up. Uh, a, as I said before, he was the last judge before all the the uh, uh, kings were uh, uh, brought to Israel. Many see uh, Samuel as a prophet. Uh, and he was a very special man, but he is in many ways uh, one of the last judges of Israel, and. When God needs a special man, He needs a special woman to bring that man into the world and to raise that man in the proper way. And so, in this time of upheaval and uh, savagery, time in which uh, even the priests were not acting as priests, they were uh, uh, always going around drunk and uh, shirking their responsibilities and allowing all kinds of evil to happen in uh, the temple and evil happening uh, throughout the land and no focus on God. There was no focus on a right relationship with God. There was very little uh, observance of the, the uh, worship of God. We uh, come to a point in time in which God brings about a very special man, uh, Samuel, and it is because of uh, Hannah. Let me read to you uh, the uh, description of who Hannah is. It says in chapter 2 of First Samuel, verse 1, And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. Mine horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies, because I rejoice in thy salvation. There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. And so this is a description of her prayer to God, and this is a description of the type of person that Hannah is. She's a godly woman. She's in a very difficult circumstance. She has a godly husband, but that doesn't mitigate the fact that she has a very difficult situation in that she is without child. And in this society, in this time of Israel, having children was seen as being a blessing of God. And when you are without a child, it was seen as a curse from God. 
And so we have Hannah that is very distraught and overwhelmed. And so we have, uh, I want to share with you some attributes of a godly mother that apply not just to Hannah, but to everyone to this day. And you men, you're not uh, let off the hook. Uh, uh, This is attributes of just having a godly home. And if you want to be a godly father, uh, as we talk about godly mothers today, this uh, this is the time... Uh, to take note and to be aware of this. First of all, we see that there was a right relationship that Hannah had with her husband. Hannah had a good relationship, a right relationship with uh, with her husband. Her husband, uh, as I said, is Elkanah. And Elkanah was a righteous man and she, rela- uh, she shared her worship with him. Uh, the Bible sh- uh, shares with us in the first chapter of First uh, Samuel chapter 1 that they would on a regular basis go to Jerusalem for worship. And as I said, uh, uh, this was uh, very rare in Israel at the time because of the, the immorality. And it says in verse 3 of chapter 1, And this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And uh, so he went up with... Uh, his family to the place of worship yearly. Now you say, well, uh, yearly, that, that's not very often, but this is the prescribed worship uh, that's found in Exodus chapter 23 that, uh, that all Israelites are to go to uh, the place where the altar of God is in, uh, and to worship, to make a sacrifice for atonement each year. And that's what this is referring to, is saying basically that Elkanah was a righteous man, that he was a man that worshipped God as he was supposed to. And he not only worshipped God himself, he took his family, he took, uh, 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 he took his wives with him, he took Hannah and Penuel with him, and he went up to uh, worship. And at that time, after they made the sacrifice, they uh, would uh, have a feast and they would... Uh, uh, spend time in worship of God, and he was had a right relationship in worship, and she shared in his spiritual strength, and she shared in his desire to worship God. She made a habit of going and praying uh, while uh, everyone else was in there celebrating and and worship and having a good time. Uh, she would take time herself to go and to pray, as is mentioned later on, and when she uh, went in and she would uh, uh, pray to God. She had great grace in sharing her love with her uh, husband. She shared in her worship. Uh, and having a right relationship with her husband meant more than just simply sharing in, in their religious faith, but it meant a physical and emotional love for uh, her husband. And this was very difficult for her because she had to share her husband with another woman. And uh, she was seen as loved by her husband. He loved her and gave her a, uh, a, a right portion which basically meant that she uh, she got basically a double portion than uh, than uh, Penuel and, and her sons. Uh, he loved her. He cared for her. He even said, "What's the matter? I, I treat you better than any sons could ever treat you." 
She still wanted to have a son. She still wanted to have a child to bless her husband, to be seen as blessed of God. Second of all, she had a right heavenly relationship. She went regularly to petition God for a child. She went regularly to, to go before God. And, and, and we see that uh, when in chapter 1 where, she talks, uh, where it talks about how she would go and uh, <coughs> her soul was had bitterness because of the fact that she was weeping sorely before God. In verse 10, uh, so Hannah rose up in verse 9 of chapter 1 after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now Eli was the priest that sat upon the seat by the post of the temple of the Lord and she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sorely. Now this doesn't mean that she was angry with God or she was bitter towards God, but rather it meant that she had, uh, she was, uh, her soul was upset because of the fact that she uh, didn't have a child. In verse 11, And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on uh, the affections of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thee uh, thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall be no razor come upon his head. And it came upon a pass as she continued to pray before the Lord that Eli marked her mouth, how Hannah, she spake in her heart, and only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought that she had been drunken. And Eli said unto her, How long wilt thou be drunk? Uh, put away thine wine from thee. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit, and I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Uh, so she is saying to Eli, the priest there, who... Uh, who is who is in the temple? He's uh, he admonishes her because he thinks that she's drunk because she is it's such in passion and prayer that her lips are moving, but she is praying within her heart, and he thinks that she is drunk, and she says, "No, I am just pouring out my heart to God for a child," and and she has a right righteous relationship with God. She is uh, overwhelmed with a desire, and she makes her petition known to God. She allows God to be aware of her desire within her heart. She uh, lays it before God. She even uh, makes a vow that she will give her son over to God if he would just grant her the privilege of having a child. And what it talks about when it says no razor will touch his head, uh, basically she's saying that from birth that he'll be a Nazarite. Uh, this was a separate sect of people that were uh, were separate unto God for a godly service. Uh, we see several times throughout Scripture about the Nazarite vow, and that was a component of it that they would uh, not cut their hair. Another component was that they would not drink wine, uh, and they would not uh, get drunk and things like that. And so she has a passion for a child. She's willing to commit that child to God. She was a woman of prayer, and she was... Uh, uh, she was a woman of purity. Uh, she says, I've not drunk in any strong drink. I've not drunk any wine. I'm not uh, involved in any of that. And she was also a woman of uh, patience. She was patiently waiting for God to move in her life. And uh, God 
and reveals to her that she will have a child. And she had a right, thirdly, she had a right relationship uh, in the home. She dedicated her child, verse 21. Uh, and uh, she, when the child was born, later on in chapter 2, uh, Elkanah and, her, and his wives are supposed to go to worship God once again. Uh, it's that time of year again. And, and Hannah says to her husband, No, I'm going to stay here with my child till he's weaned. I'm going to stay here and, and care for him while you go and, and worship. Uh, her uh, number one commitment was to stay there with the child. And she kept the vow. She uh, brought the child to Eli to, to be a, uh, a priest and to serve God and, to, and for Samuel to be given over to God. She even uh, went so far as to make a special coat for him that he would have a coat to, uh, to minister in while he was uh, ministering, even as a young child, very young uh, there in the temple. It's kind of like uh, he wasn't a preacher or he wasn't a, uh, a priest, but he was serving in the temple. And uh, kind of like you would see uh, young children uh, serve in uh, cathedrals and things like that. She gave him over at a, at a very young age to begin to, to serve God and to be used of God. And uh, Samuel has his own story of how God used him. And I want you to see something else. Uh, uh, later on in the Scripture, it tells uh, in chapter 2 that Hannah was blessed of God because of her right relationship with God. Uh, remember, Hannah was uh, described as a woman who was barren, but after she had uh, uh, gone through this uh, with giving her child over to God and giving Samuel over to God, uh, she was blessed with three more sons and two more daughters after this. And so she was blessed with five more children after Samuel. Uh, even though she had been barren before, uh, God blessed her because of that right relationship that she had. And what you, well, what we need to understand is, is that for us to have godly homes, for us to have a godly relationship with each other as godly fathers and mothers is to have uh, a, relate, a right relationship in the home with their spouse, a right relationship with God, a right relationship of serving God, of giving of ourselves and devoting ourselves to God and making sure that we are committed to living and serving God in every aspect of our life. And if we'll have that kind of, of commitment in this nation to have a, a new commitment to God, a new commitment towards serving God, we'll have our nation turn around uh, because the most important aspect of, uh, of having uh, our nation in the right frame is to have godly homes where, where children are raised with godly parents. And when we have godly homes with God, godly parents raising children in the understanding and the knowledge of God and the right relationship with God, then we'll have a godly nation. We'll have a nation that follows after God and a nation that has a tradition of serving God and living for God. But it all starts not in Washington, D.C. It all starts not with laws. It starts with godly mothers, godly fathers, committed to having a godly home, and raising the children in the right way. And that's our challenge today, is to have a godly 
mother, a godly home for our children to be raised as followers after God. Let's pray. Dear gracious Father, Lord, we thank You and praise You so much for Your gracious love. Lord, we thank You that in spite of what things happen in this world, in spite of what occurs in this world, that that You can change the trajectory of our life. You can change the course of our life. and You can take a life that seems uh, disrupted and in despair and turn it around to be a life of blessing when we commit ourselves to living for You, commit ourselves to serving You, living for You. Lord, I pray that You'd help us to be godly parents. Lord, thank You for our godly mothers that we might have children that are raised in godly homes to live and serve You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.